All right, I'm going to have a short pastoral moment, and then um, all right, there we go. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Uh, you know, Christmas is a time of joy, but maybe you don't feel joy like, like me sometimes. I haven't felt joy at points this week, and, and, but God promises to give us joy, and so I want to pray today that we would discover his joy, even, even with whatever's going on, that, that as we pursue and, and discover Christ, we would find the joy that is there in Christ. And so pray with me as we uh, just come to the Lord this morning together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. You sent him to this earth because of your love. You gave your only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Today we share and, and we claim that promise. And with Christ, there is joy. And so whatever happened this week, we just ask that you would just retune our hearts this morning. Remind us of your faithfulness. Remind us of your greatness, how you made this world, and we live in it and enjoy all the, the blessings that come in this creation, Lord. Remind us today of, of just the, the blessing of family and of friends, Lord. Remind us, Lord, of the blessing of music and, and how we can sing. And, and, and thank you, Lord, for your word, how you speak to us. You're not a God who, who remains shrouded in mystery, but you actually care to communicate to us. And so, Lord, help us to find joy today. And help us to share this joy with our community, with our friends, with our co-workers this Christmas season. So we, we just commit this service to you, Lord, as we think about your joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christmas story is one of joy. And the, the, today the, the sermon will be in two parts. So this is part one of two parts. Um, the, the story of, of Christmas includes this joy component. The first... You know, there's two characters especially that, that come out very strong, and I want to tell their story today as we think about joy. The first is a shepherd named Enoch who lived outside of Bethlehem and looked after sheep there. Enoch was a, come from a, a long line of shepherds. His grandfather was a shepherd. His great-grandfather was a shepherd. They looked after the sheep. In the Jewish culture, there was a time when the shepherd was a respected and an honorable profession. In fact, Jacob they're, they're one of the great patriarchs was a shepherd. Moses, the man who, who led the Israelites out of Egypt, was a shepherd. The King David was a shepherd. But by the time Enoch's time came around, a thousand years after King David, the shepherd was not an honorable profession. It was a poor man's profession. Uh, shepherds were looked down upon with some suspicion. You see, they couldn't maintain the ceremonial purity of the, of the Jewish faith. And so, so they, they were always a little bit on the outside. Also, their testimony was not considered admissible in the Jewish court of law. And so, so they, they, were, they were there, they were essential, but they were ignored. Enoch sat by the fire that cold night and wondered if anyone was thinking about him up there in the hills looking after the sheep. They liked the shepherds because as the pilgrims would come to Jerusalem, it, they required the sheep to, to bring into the temple to sacrifice. So they would come along and buy lambs, spotless lambs from Enoch, and, and, and they would go and worship, and he would just kind of be a, a shadow in the night as they would come, get their sheep, keep moving on. He provided an essential service, but no one cared about him or them. 
He wondered if the people sitting in their warm houses by the fire with food nearby thought about him in the hills, wonder, you know, cold and watching for sheep and predators and thieves. He wondered, does anyone even realize I'm out here? Sometimes he even wondered if God even realized he was out there. Far away in the east, on the opposite side of the social spectrum, Amar poured over the documents in front of him, wondering if there was perhaps more to life. Amar, born, of course, in a noble line, a wealthy family, with the privilege of education, training, and literacy. He was able to read in multiple languages, a smart, respected man, but this deep gnawing in Amar's soul said, there's got to be more to life than this. He read he sought the stars to see if there would be any sign or significance of, of what was going on. He wondered, would my life just pass and nothing significant happen? And then he discovered one night an anomaly. The constellations were not, there was something askew up there. He, be, he looked more carefully. He said, this is a sign. There's a star here I've never seen before. We have tracked the planets. We've seen things, how they move from, from cycle to cycle. But this one has never been there before begins to look through all the documents. Is there anything that, that would speak of a star appearing? And then he finds this obscure fragment from the, from the Hebrew scriptures. I've been translated into Greek. It was there in his collection. He's like, oh, this reference to the star which will come from Jacob. And Amar has to make a choice. Do I travel to Israel to see if I could find out? Surely this sign indicates that a king has been born. Is it worth the trip? And Amar thinks, you know, I will spend my whole life wondering if I missed out. And so he makes the trip. He begins the journey to discover, to find out who is this one who is born king of the Jews. Back in Bethlehem, Enoch, sitting by the fire, wishing that his life would have some meaning or significance, suddenly is captured by this blazing light and this apparition. Clearly an angel of the Lord. Never seen anything like it. He is totally afraid, a great fear. Whoa, this is it, I'm dead. And the angel says to him, do not be afraid. Well, that's, that's nice to know. And then he says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Enoch can't believe it, that one, an angel has appeared to them, these insignificant nobodies in the, in the hills of Bethlehem, but secondly, that he would be bringing to them a specific message of good news, of great joy that's for everyone, even for shepherds. Today in the city of David is born to you a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. He's, he knew this. He had studied his things in Sabbath school as a child. He, he knew that they were expecting the, the anointed king to come, the Messiah, the Christ. And he was hearing the news. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so Enoch and his buddies decided to go to Bethlehem and see this thing that they had been told about. They get there, they find the baby, they discover him in, a, in this feeding trough. 
And then they leave and they're telling everyone in the town, everyone they meet, guess what happened to us? Enoch realized at that moment that God did care. That this arrival of the Savior was not just for religious elites or special people, but it was for everyone. Even insignificant, forgotten people like him. Amar and his troop are making their way to Israel. The star is not in the sky anymore, but they know that it was pointing. You know, it, it seems to indicate that direction. They arrive in Jerusalem. They're finding out, hey, do you know where the king, the one who's born king of the Jews is? And of course, the king ruling in Jerusalem at the time, Herod, is like, what are you talking about, king? You know, I'm the king. You know, I know that we saw the star and we're come to worship him. Now, Herod's a little bit disturbed by this and everyone around him because what's going on here? They find out, oh yeah, it's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so, so, so and he tells, oh, by the way, you guys go worship and then tell me so I can go worship him. And, and, and Amar and his friends begin to move to Bethlehem and suddenly they see it again, the star. It leads them right to the place where Jesus is. He's older now. When it, they saw the star, and it points to the place where the child is. Matthew tells us, they rejoiced with a very great joy. Why? Because God had led them to make this wonderful discovery. It wasn't a palace, it was a humble house. But they came in on their knees, brought these lavish gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they worshipped this king who was born, whose star had led them to this place. One man surprised with joy. One man who searched for joy, both finding joy in the same place, Jesus Christ. If you discover Jesus, you discover joy. You may feel like you're forgotten, but God can surprise you with his joy. You may have been searching your whole life, and hopefully that search, if you just look for the truth, will lead you right to Jesus. So we want to talk about that today, joy. And that's nice, because yeah, there's a, a shepherd, yeah, there's a wise man, but what does that mean today? Can we discover joy in the same way these guys did? Joy of Jesus. You'll find out in part two. Let's pray as we take up this morning's offering. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for the joy that Jesus brings. And as we come and, and give to you, Lord, we do sort of hearts full of joy because you've been so good to us. You've blessed us. You've enriched our lives spiritually and physically. And our giving back to you is a response of, of worship and of gratitude. As the wise men brought gifts, so we respond today giving to you what is rightfully yours to begin with. Thank you for the privilege of partnering with you in your work. And so bless the gift and the giver and bring us to that place of joy today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy. You know, the Bible talks a lot about joy. And like it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, to always rejoice. And then 
Philippians, Paul writes to the Philippian church and says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Um, James would say, my brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy. And then he adds this qualifier. When you fall into all sorts of trials, yay, woohoo, you know, and this is sometimes the reality we feel. And maybe you're like me. If I had been there, yeah, I think I would experience joy. That's so easy because you saw Jesus being born. But what do I do in 2022 to find joy? There is the elusive joy of, of, of momentary clips of life where just you, you feel it. Yes. You know, if you're watching the World Cup, you see the people in the stands, right? They, they can have the greatest, you know, heights of joy, and then all of a sudden at the end of the game, boom, the lowest lows, right? You're like, hey, that's what life seems to be like. Sometimes you're celebrating, and other times you're just crying and weeping because it's over. And you wonder, where do we find joy? Because we don't live in the manger side anymore. How do we find joy today? What would the New Testament advise us. Always rejoice, be joyful always. But, but I, I came to the book of 1 Peter, who was, of course, a close, you know, disciple to Jesus. He writes later in his life to this group of, of Christians in struggling times. It says they're displaced. They're, they're, not, they're like refugees living abroad. They, they aren't close to, to their homeland and, and, and to their families. And, and, and they're, they're trying to eke out an existence. And he writes this letter and he suggests to them that they can have joy. And so I want you to walk with me. How does the Bible suggest that we can have joy? He begins in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter wants you to know, first of all, that, that God can be praised. He is blessed because of the, the, the things that he has given to us. This new birth, the new life. We celebrate that new life all the time. When you come to believe in Jesus Christ, you're given this new birth. You get a fresh start. It's a wonderful thing because many times in life you feel like all the mistakes I've made will be forever held against me. And God says, that's not the way I work. You come to faith in Jesus Christ. The whole quality of your life changes, and now you have a new life, a new birth, a new opportunity that you didn't have before. No one else will give you that same opportunity. Why? Because God is capable and able to do that. He says, through Jesus Christ, through his resurrection from the dead, you have this new birth into a living hope. Now, this is not wishful thinking, right? You know, you don't understand Christmas, right? We always you know, especially as children, wished and hoped for certain things to come along for us, right? Even as adults, sometimes you, you, you think that, well, wouldn't it be nice if I won the lottery? Wouldn't it be great if some rich person died and left me all their money, right? You know, we, we, wishful thinking, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if I was best friends with some celebrity and they could, I could drive their Maserati? I mean, we, we, it's just wishful thinking, right? But what Peter describes here is this living hope. I got a picture here. Um, because there's an empty tomb, now this is the difference between Christmas hope and hope today. That baby rose, died on the cross, and, and rose again. 
He grew up. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death, and he rose again. And so Peter says, no matter what's happening, you can look to the empty tomb and be reminded that, that your faith is based on something that is unparalleled anywhere in history. Our Savior is living and walking and, and, and experiencing eternal life, you know, life with the Father right now. And we too will experience life with him because of our faith in him. So, so the hope we have is because he did it himself. Whatever will happen to you in life can never be you know, can never be overcome because if you believe in Jesus Christ, because he rose from the dead, you too will rise. You will live forever. You will have eternal life with him. So, so your living hope, your new birth, is based on this reality. He takes it past the manger, past the cross, to the empty tomb and says, this is who we are now. Um, it's important not to get stuck at the manger. Hugely significant. God became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the one and older. Yes, it's important, but, but the story doesn't end at the manger. It doesn't end at the cross. It ends at the empty tomb. In fact, it's not over. That's why we have this hope he talks about here. Living hope, right? It's not like, you know, if you cheer for like the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're going to win the Stanley Cup. That's kind of a, like a far off, you know, obscure chance. Even in the World Cup, we thought maybe Canada could win. Well, that was like a really like, maybe if the stars aligned and, you know, people got injured, maybe Canada, but they didn't, obviously didn't do it, right? But living hope. How come you're so secure about this? Because of that. An empty tomb reminds us every day that there is a reason why we believe what we believe. In verse 4, he describes it further. He says, and also into an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Now, some of you maybe have received inheritances. Some of you maybe realize that you don't have an inheritance. Some of you maybe like me are like, I'm not sure there's going to be much left by the time I'm old and my kids are, are looking at me and my property and my, my assets. There may not be much left over. And certainly for the people writing, Jesus, Peter is writing to here in the first century, there wasn't probably a lot of hope for it for anything. Because if they became Christians, their Jewish families probably disowned them. Maybe even the Gentiles, Gentiles that were in the church, they had disowned them. They, they were no longer part of the, the, the future plan and the, and, the, and the will and the estates of, of their fathers and mothers. And, and so he says, but you have in Jesus Christ this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. It's there. Uh, that word imperishable, you know, described a city that was unravaged by a, a neighboring army that was attacking it. It was, you, you couldn't get in there and steal the stuff. Undefiled was a, 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 a term of, of purity. It's without blemish. It, it, it doesn't get moldy or, or rust. And it doesn't fade. It's not like those wonderful flowers you had in your garden. I had in mine that now are sitting under 10 feet of snow in my backyard or three feet, whatever it is. I mean, they, 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 they bloom and then it's over. But said, this inheritance blooms forever. He said, it's reserved in heaven for you. The word reserved describes something that has been completed and has ongoing results. It is there. It's securely there. It's, you know, God is, is looking after us. We'll find out in the next verse. This is your inheritance. What you're looking forward to is there. God is looking after it for you. He says in verse 5, 
who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He said, God's not done with this plan. He was born. He died on the cross. He rose again, but there's more coming. And so, so your inheritance lies ahead of you. And by God's power, you're protected because you believe in Jesus. Because you have this faith. And Jesus will be revealed, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He will come down. Everyone will see that he is King of kings, Lord of lords. We're looking forward to that. And you right now are protected. The word could also be described as shielded. And this verb, different than the other one, is a present tense verb. You are continually protected because you believe in Jesus Christ. God's power protects you. Your position in him is secure. Your inheritance in him is secure. It's, it's reserved, and God is looking after you in anticipation of the completion of his plan. He says in verse 6 there, this brings you great joy. Yeah, other translation would say, in which you exult or in which you rejoice. It's interesting, though. There's three words used for joy in the Greek language. One describes joy that uh, it, it, the benefits of wealth and happiness. Joy. Uh, or two, the, the subjective feeling of joy, right? Uh, you know, God, I just feel good, you know. The third one is, is the outward demonstration of joy and exaltation. And that's the one Peter's using here. This brings you great joy. This is you jumping up and down, you know. Uh, you know, in Miami, when, when El Salvador, or, sorry, Ecuador scored, you know, yay, they're excited, right? And, you know, and, and David are given, you know, and, and when Canada scored once, the whole tournament, yay, we were excited, right? It was, it was, it was great joy. Maybe your hockey team brings you great joy. When I lived in Calgary in 2003, the year my daughter was born, um, it was one of those, like, once-in-a-century occasions where the Flames were going all, you know, a, a long way in this Stanley Cup playoffs. And every time they would win, and I lived out in, in a neighboring community, people would get out on the streets and, like, honk their horns and, yeah, screaming out loud and driving around. It was every time. You, I, even if I wasn't watching the game, I just had to all of a sudden hear horns and people yelling and screaming and blowing horns. You know, I'm like, what's going on? Well, obviously, the Flames won the game. And this is the type of thing, he says, in which you rejoice. But notice the second part of the verse. Although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. And this is where the recipe for joy gets complicated. Because we read all the great stuff about God and what's he doing in the world and, his, and the future he has in store for us, his inheritance, all this stuff. And then we look at our world and we look at our lives and we experience life on the same level as everyone else around us. We, we have economic difficulties. We have physical challenges, health, relational difficulties, and, and political instability and all this stuff around us. And we wonder, how am I supposed to have joy? We have to look beyond that. In fact, we can find joy in the trials, through the trials. The wise man is like, wow, rejoicing with a great joy. And just shortly after they leave town, soldiers are coming in and killing babies. Like, it's a horrible story. And this is the world we live in, a world stained and affected by sin. 
But Jesus gives us the ability to find joy even in the midst of the mess of the world in which you and I live. Where things don't always work out the way you think they should work out. Where sometimes life isn't fair. Where you don't get rewarded for doing the right thing. And you're like, how am I supposed to be joyful? I chose the right way. I honored God. I did the right thing. And now look at me. It brings you great joy. Because you look at the bigger picture. He says there in verse um, 7, such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away and will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So God sees the value of your life. And these, these trials come in, and God, God allows them so that you can get, become stronger and more precious. I mean, what happens in, in, the, in the forge is that the gold is heated up to 1,900 degrees Fahrenheit. It's so hot. I have a picture here. Uh, look, at the, look what those guys are wearing. I mean, they've got these huge gloves on, shields, and this, this hot, molten, precious metal there. And, and what happens is as it gets hotter and hotter, all the impurities burn off, and what's left behind is this, this, this pure nugget of gold, the highest carrot and quality. And God says, I see the value inherent in your life, and so I allow the heat to be turned up on you once in a while. Why? Because I want to get to what's really valuable inside of you. And sometimes you got to burn off the dross in order to get to the precious metal on the inside. Some of you have been through some of you are going through. Some of you will go through this process. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not always pleasant. But the product at the end is glorious and wonderful and can bring joy to your heart and rejoicing to God in heaven. Let's go back to that verse, verse 7. It says there, you know, oh, you know, and this gold will pass away, but what you have in Jesus Christ will never pass away. Do you remember what happens to gold in heaven, right? It's pavement, right? We're walking on it. We're driving on it. You're going to park your Mercedes on gold, right? It, it doesn't have value up there. Why? Because there's more valuable stuff. Here we think, oh, well, the economy's falling apart. Invest in gold. And maybe some of you do that. But, but God's like, up there, it's worthless. It's just, you know, common common, you know, gravel. Why? Because there's something more precious, and that's the relationship that you have with God. See verse 8? You have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him, and so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious Joy, And here's where we fall into the Christmas story, right? Yeah, it would be easy to rejoice if I got to go into Bethlehem and see the baby and have an angelic vision and see a star that shines onto the house. I mean, yes, that would be easy to rejoice. Like, you don't see him now, but you love him. And you believe in him. And you have this rejoicing with this indescribable and glorious joy. Remember the joy of four times in my life holding a brand new infant and cutting the umbilical cord. The joy 
of seeing life in front of me that, that my wife had, had carried inside of her, her womb for nine months, and there it is, and I'm carrying the cord and, and holding my, our child, joy. The joy of, of seeing, you know, uh, you know your, your kids be successful in life, you know, watching them, you know, succeed in, in, in sports and getting, getting awards for, for citizenship and, and the joy of, of traveling together with my wife of 10 years on our first anniversary trip and experiencing a new country together. Joy! Wow. The joy of a great feast. I can remember sitting in, in this crowded table in Russia and just the, the joy of, of a table full of friends and food and fellowship. Now, I've just described to you my joyful experiences, but here he says this is indescribable joy. There are no words for this joy. It's beyond words. And it's glorious. The quality of it is that it comes from the very throne room of God into your heart. That's why it's indescribable, because it's this mysterious divine joy that, that just defies, defies logic and explanation. So the believer in Jesus Christ can go through trials and still be full of joy. And you're like, how, how are you joyful? Because I see that God's plan will come to fruition. I trust him for that. I believe him for that. He says in verse 9, the last verse of the section we're looking at, because you're attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The reality with salvation in the New Testament is that it, it has these sort of three phases, right? There, there is salvation when you believe in Jesus Christ. And at that point, you're given new birth. You're forgiven all your sins. Your name is etched into the book of life in heaven. You now belong to God's eternal family, forever family, when you believe in Jesus Christ for the promise of eternal life. You are set free from the power of sin. And the penalty for sin is taken away from you. Whatever record you have, you know, on record, all the things you've done, all the thoughts you've had, is expunged because of Jesus Christ. It's just covered with his blood and it's no longer legible. Why? Because you have now received a gift from God, the righteousness of God. That is the one-time initial salvation experience that we all can experience and should experience. But then the Bible talks about salvation as this ongoing relationship with God in the present world in which we live. We are experiencing salvation and, 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 and growth and, 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 and maturity and, and, just, and God's purposes are being fulfilled in and through our imperfect lives. This is the idea of the goal, right? God puts us through trials and we're growing more like Jesus. We are his hands and feet and his mouth to others around us. That's why he leaves us here when we, when we believe in him. Otherwise, he's like, hey, get saved, boom, go to heaven. Say, no, I've got, I've got work for you to do. I've, I've got, I've, I, want you to fulfill, I want you to be part of my plan. So get, you know, serve alongside of other believers and let, let, let's accomplish, let's bring people into the kingdom. Salvation, sometimes we call that sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. That's an ongoing aspect of salvation. But then there's that future salvation. It's not over, people. As he came the first time, well, not like that. He's going to come again, but it's not going to be this humble arrival. Uh, the glorious king of kings will return. I mean, the, the New Testament is full of 
stuff about that. We, we can talk about that another time. But, I mean, it's going to be glorious. He's going to return. The trumpet of God will sound with the angels. And, and boom, it'll you know, rapture the saints. And it's going to be awesome and glorious. And then we will receive our resurrection bodies. We will become like him, it says. It'll be glorious. So he says, it's getting tough for you guys here in the first century in the little cities of Asia Minor. But you know that this is not how the story ends. The story ends with you living eternally with God in heaven, enjoying this undefiled, unspoiled, unfading inheritance with all those who share faith in Jesus Christ. That's how the story ends. Jesus Christ will be revealed. Everyone will, will confess and acknowledge that he is Lord. Some in, in, in praise and adoration, others in disgust and remorse. I mean, I mean that's what's going to happen. So you have this living hope now. You're looking forward to this. You have this indescribable joy because you know that no matter what anyone else does to you, no one can touch what you have in Jesus. So the challenge for me and for you is to get our evaluation of life off of what we think brings us joy and to place it in that place where God says we can have joy in his eternal promises and provision for us. I have a picture here. These guys are surprised by joy. They weren't looking for it, and it just, boom, there it is. Bah! Wow! God actually has a plan for me. And that's, some of you may encounter Jesus Christ that way. You weren't looking for him, but boom, he hits you in the, in the middle of the, just a, a weird day. And suddenly you're like, wow, I am actually part of his plan. He cares about me. He loves me. He, he wants to save me. He wants to bring me into his eternal family. Awesome and wonderful. Surprised by joy. The other extreme, of course, is this one. Um, there are some that are just looking for something. They're spending their whole life on a quest and hopefully, if you're seriously and looking for truth, that truth will lead you to Jesus. Because he is the truth. There is no other truth apart from him. And true seekers of truth discover Jesus. And when you discover Jesus, you discover joy. So today, I, I hope you will either be surprised by joy or maybe you'll get to the end of your search and say, yes, I found it. Joy is found in Jesus. Whatever happens to you in your life, and some of it is hard even today for some of you, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I know it's difficult, but when Jesus is the source of your joy, your bank account doesn't steal your joy, your doctor's appointment doesn't steal your joy, your final exam mark doesn't steal your joy. The, the challenges you have in your external family, the, the, the fear of what's going to happen this Christmas when you show up or don't show up to that planned event. I mean, all those things just swirl around in our head at Christmas. But now I invite you with Peter and the Word of God to say, yes, that is the joy I want to have today. Indescribable, glorious joy of knowing that I belong to Jesus and he will bring everything to you completion. Do you know that joy today? I invite you to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And believers, I invite you just to refocus, recalibrate, <laughs> renew your heart and say, Lord, I just want to discover this type of joy. 
It's not the present joy that, that you open the present, it's yay, and then two days later, eh. We've all known that joy, right? Or the joy of, yay, my team won, and then the next day they lose. Oh, joy, you know. The joy of losing a pound and gaining five more. That's going to happen to you, some of you. Like, let's be honest, right? Joy. Is there a deeper joy? Yeah, there's the joy that only Jesus can bring. Would you discover that joy with me today? Team, would you come up, and, and we're going to just sing a, a final song of, of joy. And I encourage you at home, get out some good music, turn it up, sing along, whatever your favorite style is, country western, gospel, you know, rap, whatever, Christmas stuff, you know, God-honoring stuff, but turn it up, sing along, and you will find that there is joy and praise. Joy and praise to Jesus. So practically, that's one way you can take that step, but your life matters to God. And he wants you to experience his joy. And that joy is only found when you come to know Jesus Christ. Team, would you lead us and then we'll have a closing prayer.